Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. Good to see everyone. Um, see some new faces and some returning faces, and uh, it's really good to be here. If this is your first time, special warm welcome to you, and uh, we really hope you get to know uh, really anyone you saw up front here tonight. Uh, come and talk to one of us if you're not already plugged in, and uh, we can get you plugged in. I also want to acknowledge that we have a uh, person in quarantine joining us. So everyone say, hey, Tyler. Hey, Tyler. So Tyler just waved. And uh, so he should be back with us next week. Um, so we are in a series called Life in His Name. We're going through the Gospel of John. And Joe, I have one slide tonight. And we'll get to it in a little bit. Um, before, before we get there, <laughs> before we get there, let me just say a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, would you be in the teaching of your word? Would you be with me as I um, just share the truths that have uh, been made clear to me? I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see you more clearly, that we would come to know that we can be glad because you are with us and you are near. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, we are going to be talking about a topic tonight, as well as looking at Jesus and what he says about himself. And the topic is fear. So um, I want us to fill in the blank here. I'm deathly afraid of spiders. spiders. Public speaking. Public speaking. Okay. I heard something over here. Height. Height. Death. Is that? Jet. Oh, debt. Okay, debt. That's a good. That's a good one. <laughs> Student <laughs> debt. <laughs> Having a used restroom, but not be able to find one. Oh, oh. there's a story behind that. We need to get Jimmy to share that story sometime. Uh, so, if you asked me at one point in my life, I would have said, I'm definitely afraid of birds, any kind of bird. And there's a reason why. Um, when I was a young kid, uh, for some reason, our chimney was like the bird place to come. And, and the birds would come down our chimney and they would fly into our house. So we'd like come home from, you know, being out during the day and then just like whoosh, a bird comes at your face. And it was the scariest thing ever for me as a kid. And so I developed this phobia of birds and uh, Ward, my two year old son right back there, uh, I think might have developed that same phobia. But I think I might have gotten over it. Um, the other day, a bird came into our house. And our, our son, Ward, was terrified. But I had to be the one, I had to be the dad, right? Who opened the window, got the broom, and helped the, helped the bird out. So I think I've started to overcome that phobia, but we should lay hands on Ward next time, because um, he might be really afraid of birds. Um, but I'm sure we could each go around and talk about fear, and we could kind of laugh about it, because there are a lot of things that we might call like irrational fears, or fears that are um, maybe unusual or unique to us, but there are reasons why we're afraid. There are reasons why we get scared. There's not, I don't really think there's any such thing as an irrational fear when it comes down to it. Um, so what is the opposite of fear? Well, some would say it's courage. It's moving through the fear. It's letting the bird out the window. It's, um, you know, climbing up that high mountain if you're afraid of heights, it's whatever. Um, but I think as we'll see in the story, the opposite of fear is actually something else. 
It's peace. It's comfort. It's gladness. It's joy. It's the presence of someone or something that you feel safe with. Fear is something uh, that's studied academically. Now we need the slide. Chapman University, which I'm not familiar with, but they do every year a, um, a kind of a survey of the American people and they ask, what are you afraid of? And they kind of rank these fears. You might notice some really interesting things. One, we are way more afraid of the government than we are of the coronavirus. Um, but this is 2020 and 2021. They did two in one year. Um, COVID shows up at least four times. Number two, people I love dying. Uh, number three, a loved one contracting COVID-19. Four, people I love becoming seriously ill. Um, number six, a pandemic or major epidemic. And maybe related, number seven, an economic or financial collapse. Um, biological warfare shows up. Pollution shows up. Widespread civil unrest. Um, all of these things we can relate to and kind of make sense. Um, and in case you're wondering what the American people are afraid of, this is it, ranked. But what if we were to kind of narrow down onto this campus and ask what are students afraid of? You can go to the next slide. Thanks, Joe. Um, I think what we would see is probably a fear of not being enough, not living up to maybe your parents' standards or your own standards, uh, fear of failure, maybe that sums that up, fear of embarrassment or rejection, fear of, on the one hand, loneliness and being alone and getting um, isolated in your dorm for a week, Tyler, sorry. Um, <laughs> On the one hand, but then on the other hand, fear of close relationships, fear of intimacy, fear of being vulnerable and letting people know, hey, I need friends. I want to be your friend. Fear of racism and discrimination. Fear of when you think about your future, what if I don't have my purpose? What if I'm not optimizing my gifts and talents and uh, my time and place? What if I'm not making a difference with what I have? These are fears that maybe you relate to. I think we could go on and on and on if we ask the question, what are we afraid of? Let's drill down on the question, why are we afraid? There's a seventh century monk, his name was John of Damascus, another John. Um, and he, he says this, he divides fear up into six different varieties. And some of these words might be kind of old fashioned, but I think there's some helpful things here. He says, uh, six varieties. One, shrinking. Two, shame. Three, disgrace. Four, consternation. Five, panic. And six, anxiety. He says, shrinking is fear of some act about to take place. So, literally, shrinking. Uh, shame is arising from the anticipation of blame. And get this, he says this. And this is the highest form of the affection. In other words, the emotion. Shame. You thought shame was just a 21st century thing. No, I was talking about it way back then. He says, disgrace is fear springing from some base act already done. And even for this form, there is some hope for salvation. He was a Christian monk, by the way. Consternation is fear originating in some huge product of the imagination. Panic is fear caused by some unusual product of the imagination. And lastly, anxiety is fear of failure. That is misfortune, 
For when we fear that our efforts will not be met with success, we suffer anxiety. I think if we were to go back into that list of 10 fears and that list of fears we came up with just together and the fears that I listed that BU students might be experiencing, I think we have covered four out of the six pretty well. You know, I shrink in fear from birds. Um, I think consternation, um, we imagine something bad happening. Panic, anxiety, I think we can all see how those relate to uh, what we said. But there are two that I want to focus on, shame and disgrace. Remember, shame is being exposed to be in the wrong, and disgrace is being in the wrong and being fearful of punishment. I think those two get to the heart of fear. Why? Well, I think if we go back all the way to the beginning, all the way to the first few chapters of the Bible, we have people who had no fear. It says they are naked and unashamed. There was no fear of embarrassment. There was no body image issues. Adam and Eve, they had an untainted marriage. And even with God, they had an untainted relationship. They had no reason to fear. But when Adam and Eve sinned against God by disobeying his commandment and eating that fruit that they were not supposed to, a new fear entered the picture. This is not they were, they were afraid of lions, they were afraid of storms. No, they were fear, afraid of punishment. They were afraid that God was going to come after them and kill them that the wrath of God would come down on them for their disobedience. But as the story goes, God did not punish them as they ought. He, he didn't even cut them off entirely. He did curse them. He did banish them from his physical presence in the Garden of Eden. Uh, but they were still his creation. They were still his people. And he made a promise that it's not going to always be like this. There's more to this story. What we're going to talk about mostly tonight is the kind of fear that arises from shame and disgrace. Guilty people we carry around with us the sense of being afraid that we deserve worse than we receive. We also carry around this shame that we might be exposed to be the sinners that we are, right? We are afraid, not just because we are mortals, not just because we're weak, finite creatures. We are afraid when it comes down to it, because we're guilty. The existential fear that I think is behind even the fear of death itself is the fear of punishment. I think the reason fear gets a hold of us and takes over our entire souls is because we have this cocktail of shame and disgrace that we have. And all other fears pale in comparison to this one. In other words, I think what I'm describing is the heart of fear, the ultimate root and core of fear. Let's look at our passage. In verse 16, you can open your Bibles if you want. When evening came, it's dark. 
his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea had become rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, in other words, they were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which is about six miles across. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Let's look closely. Why were the disciples afraid? At first glance, it seems that their fear is that there's this wind and there's this rough water. But remember that a lot of these disciples were fishermen. A lot of these disciples knew what it was like to be in a storm. You might be remembering other stories where there was a storm in the water and Jesus was with them in the boat and he calmed the storm. This is a little bit different. Their fear wasn't just about the wind and the waves. It says they saw Jesus walking on the water, coming towards them, and they were frightened. If you grew up in the church and this is a familiar story to you, let's, let's relook at it. Just think about that for a second. A man walking on the water. This is not on land, not on a dock, but on the surface of the water itself. I, this, is, this is incredibly bizarre. This is incredibly uh, just something that people do not do. Let it be said. Amen. <laughs> he must have some sort of supernatural power. There must be something else at work in this man if he is able to walk on the water. It's not iced over. It's water. It's rough water. Could it be that this was an angel sent from God? Could it be that this was someone that uh, had been sent by God and from God himself. The next verse, in verse 20, tells us that Jesus did not want them to be afraid. Verse 20, but Jesus said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. They were afraid, and then they were glad. Why? Why would they first be afraid and then immediately go from fear to gladness? Not just fear to, you know, but gladness, joy. This brings us to our, our second point. The first point, reasons why we're afraid. The second point, the best reason not to be afraid. What does Jesus say? He says, it is I. Do not be afraid. If you were to look at the Greek, it is I, it's ego eimi. And if you look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, when you look at Exodus 3, which we talked about last week, when Moses sees this burning bush, and he's talking to God, appearing in this burning bush, and God is telling Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Moses asks, who should I say has sent me? In other words, what is your name? Who are you? God says, I am who I am. We put vowels in there to the Hebrew, and we call it Yahweh. But really, it's the I am. 
the one who needs no introduction, the one who has no name, the I am, the ever-present, the of old, ancient of days, the one who always will be, God, Yahweh, the creator, Lord, the I am. We can't miss this in the English. It is I, ego eimi, I am. Do not be afraid. There are several connections that we have to make here. In John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And everything that was made was made through Him. Who is the Word? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Word is Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. And in Genesis 1, it says that the Spirit hovered over the surface of the waters. Jesus walking on the water, the great I am. There's more in Job 9, verses 5 through 8. It says, He who removes mountains and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the seas who walks on the waves of the seas. The only one who can walk on the waves is the one who created them. But the miracle is not just that he's walking on the waters. It's twofold. First, Jesus walks on the water, which is a big deal. Second, they immediately arrive at their destination. So remember I said, the uh, Sea of Galilee is likely about six miles wide at its, at its uh, shortest, kind of the point where, where they were going. They were going about six miles. And when Jesus came to them, they were only about three miles in. So they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. But it says that when Jesus came into the boat, that immediately they were where they were going. In Psalm 107, 28 through 30, it says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Be at this. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. This is the Old Testament, folks. Any Jewish person living at this time, in other words, these disciples, they would have this uh, poured into them from a young age. They would know these stories. They would know this psalm. They would know Job. They would know the story of creation. This was the one who, in Psalm 89, it says, who rules the raging sea. When its waves rise, this is the one who stills them. So Jesus, in this act, which might seem kind of to us like, okay, I guess that's a flex. You know, like he's, he's just flexing his supernatural muscle here. He know, he's sending a message to his disciples that he is the word made flesh, that he is the one sent from God. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the one that's been, uh, that we've been waiting for for centuries. He's now here. It is I. Do not be afraid. They were afraid and then they were glad. Why were they glad? What does this mean for us? 
throughout the Old Testament, the, the waters, and the, the water is great, it's just a symbol here, um, but the waters symbolize chaos and the separation that we have between God and ourselves because of sin. And Jesus is here crossing that chasm. He's coming towards them. He's drawing near to his people. Um, in the uh, Exodus 3 story, when the burning bush happens, there's a difference. He says to Moses, don't come near. This is holy ground. Take off your shoes. He says, don't come near. This is different. The great I am, Yahweh, is drawing near to his people. He's coming, and he's coming to save. The direction of fear is, is backwards, right? If you're afraid of something, you're going to shrink. You're going to retreat. When God comes to his people, he calls them to not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Um, he says, do not back away. Do not run away or retreat. But he calls them to draw near, to come closer. Let me in to the boat. There are, um, I, I couldn't come up with a whole number. I think it's over a hundred times in the Bible where God says to his people, do not be afraid. And there are so many times when, when an angel or God himself comes to his people and it says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I want us to think we maybe are so afraid because we haven't realized that the one that we fear, the one who has power not over just our bodies but our souls, has said, come near. It is I. Do not be afraid. The guilt and the shame that you feel, feel and all that you fear, the punishment that you fear, I've taken it on myself. I've taken away your guilt. I've taken away every reason you have to fear. In Matthew 10, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, do not fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who has power over the soul and the body. Who has power over the soul and the body? It's God. God. This is the counterintuitive nature of the gospel. Who are we afraid of? Often it's, it's God. It's not just death. It's not just pain. We fear God. And here God is saying to us, it is I. Do not be afraid. He's coming to you with open arms and he's saying, Perfect love casts out fear. Let me show you what it feels like to not be afraid. Come into my arms and feel the love of God where you don't get what you deserve. In Proverbs, it says that the beginning of, the wis beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The paradox of fear here. How do we get rid of fear in our lives? How do we get rid of anxiety? How do we get rid of angst? How do we get rid of uh, this fear of shame and disgrace? We fear the Lord. We fear the Lord. We run towards him, not away from him. The only way to get to the root of this, this vine of fear that kind of like comes up and tangles our hearts is to go to God. Um, 
so y'all, I have a confession to make. I'm not just afraid of birds. <laughs> uh, I, I would say I'm afraid of a lot of things. Uh, I would say that I, I tend to be, be kind of fearful person. Um, and I have been reminded by a, a counselor of mine, um, by this one line of a hymn that's a beloved hymn that you've heard many, many times, an amazing grace, by another John, John Newton, who happened to be a sailor. It says this, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. The only true antidote to fear is the love of God, is the grace of God. It's not the picture of darkness and a storm. It's a picture of a a lost son running to the embrace of his welcoming father. It's the picture of disciples who one second were afraid for their lives and then were glad and they were joyful and they had safe passage to their destination. Maybe that's the true opposite of fear. Not just courage, to push on through, but comfort and joy and safe passage to our destination. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray uh, that we would run into your arms, that the grace of God would cast out all of our fear, that we would know that you alone are the one who can still the waters of our souls Lord, um, just give us that grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.